Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 13th of February 2011, entitled Perseverance Amidst Opposition, and the Bible reading is taken from Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 to 11. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they receive the stones out of the heaps of the, of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head, and give them for a prey in the land of captivity, and cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So built we the wall. And all the wall was joined together into the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashtotites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, that they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is become and there is much rubbish, so that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. Father, we thank you again this evening for this time that we have together. And now, Lord, we genuinely commit this time into your hands. Pray that, Lord, that you would use thy unworthy servant, that you would anoint with thy power from on high, that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would make these words alive, that you would speak to each heart. Father, we know. You know the heart of every individual here this evening, everyone that will ever listen to this sermon. So, Father, we pray that you would bring forth the words that need to be spoken under the power of your Spirit to accomplish the work that you would have accomplished. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. This morning in our morning service, we looked at the thought from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians on the thought of what makes a great church great. What makes a great church great? And we looked at a number of things that for a church to truly be great, what does that mean in God's eyes? And how do we measure up to that? It's one thing to be a great church that does all the things it's supposed to do and believes all the things it's supposed to believe. But there are things that go beyond that, things that go beyond that that make a great church 
really great that can be an example to others and that the name of Jesus Christ can be named throughout the world as fruit from that church. But you see, some of you will be able to give a real hearty, loud amen here if you so desire. Anytime in your life, as an individual, as well as cooperatively together as a church, if you truly set your mind to let God have your life and do whatever he wants to do with it, if you truly set your eyes on things above rather than things upon this earth, if there is a danger of your life actually accomplishing what God wants to do, and I said this morning and I repeat it, I don't think there's an individual under the sound of my voice that can even begin to imagine and comprehend what God could and would do through your life as a believer if he truly had you lock, stock, and barrel. And I don't believe we can begin to imagine and comprehend what God would and could do through this church corporately if we really meant business with God, if God really had our lives, including your pastor, wholehearted, lock, stock, and barrel, we can't even begin to comprehend what God could really do with that. But I can promise you this, that if you even begin to get your life, or as a church, we begin to make that move to where God could do those things, just as here we find the nation of Israel, we find Nehemiah taking the people back to, to build up those walls that had been destroyed, that were laid in rubble around the city of Jerusalem. But when you begin to truly let God do something through you that's going to accomplish his work, I can promise you, just as we're going to look at here, there will be opposition. There will be opposition. Now I thought as I was looking at this passage that you know, many times we can look around at nature, and it's amazing what we can learn from just nature getting on with this business and doing what it's supposed to, like trees. You know, trees are supposed to grow, and they sprout their branches and their leaves and all of these different things, but it's amazing how different that trees can be. Now, I know that a few years back, we had to have the uh, tree surgeons come in and uh, the lumberjacks or whatever you want to call them and cut down a whole batch of trees down that ran down the side of, of, of our house in, uh, in the States because all those trees were some type of pine trees. And you know, a pine tree, one thing that you find out if you're around them for very long, pine trees are not made to withstand the winds and the storms. It was after one of those pine trees when the winds come that fell across and just missed the front of the house that we decided, you know, those trees don't really need to be there because their roots grow very shallow. And when the winds and the storms come, they tend to blow over. But you take an oak tree. An oak tree is very different. Not only does it look different, but you know what happens when an oak tree stands amidst the storms and the wind and everything? Its roots just go deeper and deeper and deeper. And once that oak tree's been there a while, you can rest assured that wind's going to have a hard job laying an oak tree over on its side because its roots run deep. And the more the wind blows, the stronger it gets to stand against that. Well, in our lives, 
know, the Bible, we can look at many different illustrations and many different passages of Scripture, but the Bible has much to say about how we're rooted and how we're grounded, what it is that's going to anchor us and hold us in place. As we look here in this passage, you know, I don't know anybody that, that's thinking sanely that desires to be persecuted. <laughs> and I'm not saying that you should go out and, and look for persecution. I'm not even saying that you should covet it. But I'm saying it shouldn't be shunned. And it shouldn't be taken lightly. The Bible very, very clearly states that if you live godly, you will suffer persecution. If God is able to see, be seen through your life, you will suffer persecution. And if anybody takes to heart what we looked at this morning, and if truly you're willing, you can't do it for anybody else, but truly for yourself to let God do what he wants to do and to accomplish his greatness for his glory, there's going to be opposition Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Jesus Christ, in what we would refer to often as the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, he gives us these words. He says, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Now, does that sound like a blessing? But yet Jesus said, you're blessed. Blessed are you when men will revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. But notice the next three words, for my sake. You know, the simple truth is, though it may not come easy, but when it's coming for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying that is a blessing indeed. Matter of fact, notice the next word in your Bible. He says, rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Anybody that's ever truly been in the hand of God to be used, they will face persecution. You can't live a godly life in an ungodly world and not face persecution. You can't live a holy life, a righteous life amidst a sinful world and not face persecution. It doesn't make people feel good. The truth is that's what God wants to do with our lives. So he wants to live through us. Remember, we'll be coming back soon that, that the real focus of the Holy Spirit being sent to us in the first place is so that Jesus Christ's work can be accomplished still upon this earth through you and I as believers. The power of God working through us to accomplish that which he came to accomplish. Why is it such a blessing? Though we don't go looking for it, when it comes, how could we count it as a blessing? How could we rejoice in it? How could we be exceeding glad in it? Because just like that oak tree, anything that will send the roots of your spiritual life deeper, deeper into the will of God instead of your own, deeper to where that you can stand steadfast against the storms that are going to come, deeper so that you can, whatever the circumstances, be able to, to bear more fruit, then it's got to be a blessing. 
because Jesus Christ is going to be seen more in your life. I want you just to look at a couple of things here this evening. Two things. First of all, I want us to notice the nature of the opposition. Now, I'll tell you in the beginning, there's no way that I can know what opposition that you're going to face in your life or that I'm going to face in mine. But we can look at the opposition that God's people were facing here. And we can look not only at the opposition that they faced, but we can look at the perseverance of the workers, the perseverance that they had. First of all, I want you to notice what's taking place here. First of all, what I simply call the piercing arrows of scorn. They were being scorned. I don't know about you. I, I've never found being scorned to feel very good. But notice what it said there in, in verse 2. It says, And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? They were scorned because of their strength. What do these feeble Jew, do, Jews Feeble in number, feeble in strength. In other words, they're saying, man, they're not up to the task. Some may scorn you. What in the world do they think that they are doing? Do they really think that they can make a difference? Do they really think that God would do that through their lives? Will they fortify themselves? They may question your motives. They may question why you're even doing what you're doing, what, what sense that it makes. Will they sacrifice. You know, that's really coming down to questioning really the depths of your faith, isn't it? Are they willing to pay the price? <laughs> Are they willing really to go through what they're going to have to go through in order to, to do that? He says, will they make an end in a day? <laughs> will they really accomplish anything? You know, they're questioning their enthusiasm. Will they really be able to see anything come from what they are, are doing? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? You know, many are going to scorn you. They're going to think that maybe, probably, your aims are just too high. <laughs> you know, to really expect God to do those kind of things. You're attempting too much with your life. They may look, and as we goes on here in the next verse, notice <laughs> not to buy, and the Ammonite was by him, and he said, <laughs> even that which they build. If a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. <laughs> what they're doing is not going to be worth anything anyway. <laughs> Why, well, a fox could go up there and knock down that wall that they're building. It's not worth anything. It's not going to accomplish anything. It's not going to stand. Now, if you were these workers, you know, that kind of scorn, this questioning almost everything about what you're doing and why you're doing it and how you're doing it, you know, the questions may be different when God's doing something in your life, but we can certainly get an idea from this of just how people may scorn you and the kind of criticisms that may come against you as they query what you're really doing for God. A faithful worker will have to face such criticisms. Don't expect the world 
to understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, or how you're doing it. It's not going to happen. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 says, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. You know, would you rather have man's scorn or God's scorn? The Bible says it's those scorners that are going to be scorned by God. But God's going to give grace unto the lowly. It's amazing. It's one of those things in Scripture that as we go time and time and time again, we're talking a little bit this morning, some of us, I mean, about this, this whole fact of, you know, to the world it makes no sense. With God and his economy, the more you give, the more successful you're going to be. It's not the more you can hoard. It's not the more you can store up. It's not the most that you can build up for yourself. But the more that you give away, the more you're going to have God's blessings. That doesn't make sense. We find that just as we look here, the more we try to accomplish in the spiritual realm, the more that we try to give our lives not to accomplish the things that may be seeming lofty, to this world, but the things that are important to God, the more that we're going to be scorned by that world. But the Bible says God will give grace to the lowly, to the humble, because we know if this is ever going to happen, it's going to happen through God, and we'll see that a bit later. Not only may the opposition come through those piercing arrows of scorn, that the world and the, and the lost and the unbelievers around you are, are sending at you, but even to the planned conspiracy of the enemies. Notice what he says here in verse 7 and 8. But it came to pass that when Sinbalad and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, they were beginning to accomplish what they had actually said they were going to, the Bible says they were very wroth. They were upset. They were angry about this. And they, there's the next word that I use, conspired. They conspired, all of them together, to come up and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. You see, first of all, it's just words. It's just the scorn. It's just trying to, to literally discourage you to the point that you just... Don't even try anymore. But when you get past that scorn and you keep going and they see something actually being accomplished, the Bible says they conspired together to go up and to put an end to this, to stop it from happening. Sometimes, notice in verse 11, and our adversary said, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. You see, at first it's easy for them just to belittle the work, to scorn it. But when it starts doing something that's going to truly affect their lives and the world around them, they want to put a stop to it. Now, God knew this was going to happen. God saw it before it ever even came. And of course, they think that they're, feeling, they're dealing with just the feeble Jews. But in fact, it's God that's behind it. We find that 
the Bible teaches us here that the wicked aren't going to triumph. We saw this morning, they're not going to escape. We need to leave the judgment and the revenge to God. They will not escape. But folks, we need to keep in mind, the Bible tells us that it was Jesus Christ himself that is building his church. And what does it teach us after that it says that he's the one that's building his church? It says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do we believe that? Do we believe that there's enough forces in hell to come against us to stop the accomplishing of what God is going to do with his people, what Jesus Christ came, the Bible says, and gave himself for? The opposition will come. And some people will, all it will take is just the scorn in the words to get them discouraged enough to back off. But some will get past that. But then mark it down. The enemy will do his best to do whatever he has to, to put in your way, to make the work cease, to stop what is happening and in churches, he does that in all kinds of ways. He'll put one brother against another brother, one sister against another sister. He'll come in with all these little things that really, where I come from, is that don't mount to a hill of beans. They don't amount to anything. But it's enough to stop the work, to cease the work of God when he starts bringing these things against it. We need to keep in mind, Jesus Christ has promised that the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Notice not only the piercing arrows of scorn, the planned conspiracy of the enemy here, but the painful discouragement of friends. <laughs> you know, it's one thing when uh, the opposition is coming from the enemy, when it's coming from, from the outside. But I want to tell you something. When it starts coming from inside, from those that are supposed to be the dearest and the nearest, those that are supposed to be on your side, boy, that hurts. You expect encouragement from them, but you don't get it. You see, most of the time, that's not because your friend is doing what they're doing intentionally. You know, I don't, I don't find many Christians, unless they've really gone off the deep end, that go around intentionally trying to discourage other Christians. But I see Christians discouraging other Christians all the time. And do you know the greatest reason for it? It's because that friend of yours has become discouraged themselves. It's not because that they want to hurt you. But in most cases, they've become discouraged. Now here, it's clear that Judah has been, become discouraged. Judah has lost sight of what God can do and what God can overcome. He's looking at all the things that are coming against them. He's looking at all the adversities. He's looking at all of the opposition. His eyes have gotten off of Jesus, off of God. They've gotten on all the problems He's looking at man's strengths and weaknesses in comparison to each other. He's looking at the, at the size of the job that's got to be accomplished. Maybe he's 
lost some faith himself, as we talked about this morning. The simple truth is, out of his discouragement, maybe without even realizing it. And I don't, I don't know what all, the Bible doesn't tell us what all was going on in Judah's mind. But we do know that Judah was discouraged. Verse 11 says, and our adversary said, this is Judah, they shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. The adversaries are real. The adversaries are sneaky. The adversaries are trying to come. But notice the verse just before that in verse 10. Jesus said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. They're getting weaker. They're not able to carry on. And there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. Now remember, the walls are laying in ruins. I mean, it's nothing but a pile of rubbish. And yet they're planning to build these great fortified walls out of that. Judah says, man, this is too hard. It's just too much of a burden on people. They're not going to be able to keep up the work. And Judah's on their side. <laughs> Judah's there with them. He's one of them. You see, when you or I become discouraged, there's a couple things that happen. First place, we become useless to God. <laughs> God's not going to be able to use you while you're discouraged and down in the dumps. But the sad thing is, is that we usually will be a hindrance to those around us. We'll have an effect. That's why the devil likes to get me discouraged and you discouraged. He wants to get us down. Because as we saw this morning, God's purpose is that we come together and we build each other up and we, we encourage one another and we have a positive effect on one another. But when you get discouraged about something, and that discouragement starts coming out, you can just as surely have a detrimental effect on those around you. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Be strong. Be of good courage. Don't be dismayed. Remember, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, and it's him that will get the work. So we see the nature of the opposition that was coming against God's people here. And I'm saying that we can see in that that maybe we're not building walls as they were building them. But God's wanting to build something with your life. God's got you here for a reason. And God can do great things through you. But if you let God begin to do that work, expect the opposition. You're not going to accomplish anything worthwhile without opposition coming. But if that opposition is coming, whether it's words that are coming from the world out there that doesn't understand what you're doing, whether it's the actions of the enemy actually conspiring together to try to stop whatever it is that you're doing, 
or whether it's your friends, maybe because of their own discouragement. They're trying to show you, you're missing the boat. That's too hard. That's too big. That's not what God wants. The opposition's going to come. But notice this. Notice this. Notice the perseverance. Because I want to tell you something. <laughs> they started with a pile of rubbish. But you can read on through. And guess what? They finished the wall. <laughs> they built a wall. In spite of all of the opposition that came against them, despite everybody believing it was silly and crazy, despite all the scorn, despite the enemy conspiring and physically trying to stop the work, despite discouragement from within, I'm saying that there was a perseverance of the saints, of these workers. I want to give you three things. The first one's found in verse 6. So built we the wall. And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. They finished the first half of it. How? For the people had a mind to work. The people had a mind to work. I'm saying to you today that too many of God's people, they don't have a mind to work. They're trying to see how much work they can get out of most of the time. I'm telling you today that I've said time and time and time again that as a pastor, one of the frightening things is to see just how much commitment can frighten God's people. These people had a mind to work. They had set it in their minds that they were going to work. They wanted to work for God. They wanted to serve God. They wanted to do God's work. A whole lot of the battle is going to take place right there in the mind. They weren't just talking about what needed to be done. They weren't just seeing it. They weren't even maybe just feeling it. They had set their mind to the work that needed to be done. The songwriter put it this way, I will not work my soul to save, for that the Lord hath done. But I will work, live, and slave for the sake of God's dear Son. Folks, putting our mind to work is not for us. It's not what it will do for us. It's when we do it for his sake. Because what Jesus Christ did for us means so much. I've said time and time again, it's a great thing. It should prick our hearts when we think about people that we know that are not prepared to meet God. When we think about people facing an eternity in that place called hell, it should do something to us. But our greatest reason for seeing them saved should be for the sake of Jesus Christ because he loved them and paid such a price for them that they can't escape that, that they don't have to do that. I'm saying, you know, they got through the opposition because their minds were made up. They were going to do the work. By God's grace, they were going to do the work because they knew this was what God wanted to do. This is what God had for them. And they knew that God was able to do it. They had a mind to work, but notice also in verse 9, simple things. Nevertheless, we made 
our prayer unto our God. We made our prayer. They not only had a mind to work, but they had a heart to pray. They genuinely, they knew these oppositions were real. This wasn't just a figment of their imagination. They were facing all kinds of opposition. But they had made up their minds they were going to do what God wanted done and not let the world stop them. But they also had a heart to pray. You see, working mind can get you in trouble without a praying heart. We can get determined to do things in our strength and our way and have all the right ideas. But without God, without God, it can actually get us in trouble. I put, put down this quote, and I don't even know where I got it from or who to give credit to. But said, those who have not heart to pray will soon have no mind to work. Those who have not a heart to pray will soon have no mind to work. When we lose that desire in our heart to commune to him, to go to God, whatever's coming against us, we know he's able. We just got to take it to him. We've got to go to him with it. I thought of this in connection with a very conference that, you know, so many times, if you're not careful, doesn't matter what God has planned for us. That week of meetings can end up being just an absolute waste of time. It can. But we said when God first laid this conference on our hearts, certainly in my own heart, that it, it went back to Ephesians chapter 6. And I'd like to read those verses to you again this evening as we come to close to being finished here. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplications in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Folks, it's not enough. It's not just the building of those physical walls that the Jews were trying to accomplish, that the enemy was trying to stop. The Bible says these battles are far, far, far more serious than just that physical realm. 
We're fighting a spiritual battle. We're fighting against the very forces of darkness. And we need to be prepared for that battle. And if we're going to be serious about doing something for God, opposition is going to come. But he says this is the way that we'll persevere. This is the way that we'll be able to not only just stand against the enemy, but overcome the enemy. So many times, I've seen great warriors of God. I've seen those that God has done tremendous things through their lives. And I've seen the enemy come along and destroy them and discourage them and stop what God was doing in their lives. He'll try to do the same to you, I promise you. But folks, we can stand just as God's people did here. But do we have a mind to work? And do we have a heart to pray always with all prayer and supplication for each other that we might be able to persevere, that we might be able to do what God wants? And this final thought is also found there in verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them, who? Against the enemy, day and night because of them. We just got through reading over there in Ephesians. <laughs> we were told there to watch. Do you know, I was quite surprised as I began to look through Scripture how many times that these two things go hand in hand. Watching and praying. Watching and praying. Matthew 26, 41. The Bible says, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptations. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Hmm. Most of the time we don't realize. We don't fully grasp how weak our flesh really is in its own strength. No matter how genuine and serious that we might be about what we're doing, the Bible says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. In other words, before you get there, the devil's going to try to tempt you. He's going to come against you. But you need to have a mind that's set. You need to have a heart that's praying. You need to have an eye that's watching out for that old enemy because he's coming. How's he going to come? Here the Bible says, watch and pray before you get in the middle of it. <laughs> before you, because, you know, we can, we can, again, be as genuine and serious as we want. But don't wait until we're in trouble, till the temptation's piling in upon us. We should be watching and praying that we don't get there in the first place. Mark chapter 13, verse 33 says, Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Folks, we not only don't know when the Lord's coming for us, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what time it is in our lives. But the Bible tells us that we need to be watching and praying because there are uncertainties that we don't know what's before us. We just read in Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto 
with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober. We need to get serious about what we're doing and watch unto prayer. You see, they were watching. They knew the enemy was coming. They were aware. They had a mindset. They were going to finish what God wanted to do. They were going to do God's work. They had a heart that was praying because in the end, that's where all their strength, all their protection, all that they had to fight with was that which was going to come from God, not themselves, not their flesh. They had their eyes open, watching for the enemy and what he might be bringing. So many times, you know, they said they're going to sneak up unaware when they're not expecting. That's exactly what Satan wants to do. He wants to catch you unaware. He wants to catch you when you're not expecting it. He wants to catch you off guard so that he can cause the work in your life to cease. You know, so many times we're talking in the adult Bible study this morning about the importance of choices. Stop and think sometime about some of the choices you've made in life that maybe at the time didn't seem all that important, but yet how they've affected everything in your life since that day. They're very important. Folks, we have a choice. The Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. He went on, you know, whether it's going to be the, the gods of this world and all those people around you, or whether it's going to be the God that we're talking about here this evening, we have a choice. We can choose where we want our life to go and what we want to be accomplished with it. To me, it's exciting to think and ponder what, what God can do and what God wants to do and what God will do if we would just give ourselves to him in that way. It's exciting to think what God could do. Yes, I know it's a day. I know it's a day when churches seem to be moving away from the foundational faith that they've stood on for so long. I know it seems to be a day when people are falling away from the churches and attendances are hurting in many places. But you know, it's still the church of Jesus Christ that he's building. And I believe with everything within me that God can and will do with your life and with this church more than we can even begin to think if we'll really get serious with God and really let God have our lives and let what God wants to do with us take that place of priority over all these things that we need to do and we want to do. What God could do with your life, not for your glory, not so you can get the big head about it, but for his glory, that the work of Jesus Christ truly can be accomplished through your life. You know, I don't want to see our church grow, and I'd love to see us bursting out at the seams, 
having to, to figure out where we're going to put everybody. But not just so we can look around and be proud of what we've done. But I want us to be as strong as possible so that in this day that we live, that we can have a stronger force, a stronger army that's going out there to win these souls to Christ, that's going down there on the streets of Birmingham, that's going up to the Fox and Goose, that's going into these nursing homes, that's going into the retirement villages, that's doing these things to try to get the simple truth of God to these people that haven't heard. And yes, I want us to be a strong church. I want us to grow stronger, not just in number, but in grace and in faith and in love and those things that we looked at this morning. But I just wanted to come behind that this evening. Folks, there's something to get excited about. But you need to realize, too, you need to count it a blessing when the opposition comes. <laughs> Sometimes that's a good way of letting you know you're on the right track. <laughs> that's a good way of knowing that God's actually doing something with your life when the devil wants to stop it. Opposition will come against the work of God. It always has, and it will until he returns. But I believe the Lord's wanting some people to get serious about fighting the battle that's out there. You get serious about letting God just do what he wants to do with us. Let him accomplish his work through us. Let our lives count for something more than just this physical realm around us. Let God do something that can bring glory to him and to his kingdom. Father, you know my heart, Lord, that in what we've looked at both this morning and this evening, Lord, I know that in your word that you encourage me and it's been my heart's desire to be an encouragement to those that are here and those that listen. Lord, of the greatness of what you can do. That greatness, as we saw this morning, that greatness in the church being that which is great in your eyes. Those things that matter in your eyes. But Father, we recognize and realize that Father, it would be remiss of me to, Lord, to point out the things that can be without pointing out that if those things are to be, there will be opposition. And Lord, it's going to come in what people say. It's going to come in what people do, even some of them conspiring to, to actually put a stop to what's happening. Lord, it's even sometimes going to come from our friends, those around us, fellow believers that themselves have gotten discouraged, that themselves have maybe lost part of that faith that they one time had. But, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Help us to have a mind to the work, a mindset for your work to be accomplished. Give us a heart of prayer. A heart, Lord, that is recognizing and taking encouragement in the strength you'll give us at the same time that is totally dependent upon you. And give us an eye to watch. Help us to watch, to recognize the enemy's coming, to be aware, to be prepared, to be able to do everything that we can to stand, having done all 
to stand. Lord, I pray that you would do great things. I pray that, Lord, even in these that are here this evening and listening to these words, Father, if you could take one life, one life that was really sold out to you above all else, Lord, I pray that you would take and use that life for your glory. But, Father, I would pray that you could get more than just one out of us. And I pray that you might do great things that would never bring glory to any man, that would bring glory to you, that people might be able to see more of Christ in us and through us, that you could do great things that are beyond, Lord, what we can even imagine, but that you would give us the faith to be able to see the unseen as you do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, you, me, I get discouraged sometimes too when I shouldn't. I shouldn't because there's nothing that happens that God's not big enough to take care of. And you know, we can't change anything that's happened in our past. But boy, we can sure make some choices right here tonight. Oh, you can procrastinate. You can plan to do something later. You can put it off till later. Well, you can set your mind right here tonight to God's work, your heart to prayer, your eye to watch. God can do wonderful things through you. You know, this, this song says, you know, when, when those discouraging times come, the opposition will come, but it's how we handle it. Songwriter said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's what I want to encourage you to do this evening. Give God your life. I mean genuinely. How many times do we say the words, something's, something's not really said? I'm saying really give yourself to God. And whatever is happening around you, get your eyes off of the world. and Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Remember that it's him. It's his work. He's the one that's bought you with a price. He's the one that will accomplish the work. It's his work is the only work that really matters in the end, in eternity. It's the work of Christ in people's lives is the only thing that's going to matter in the end. May God use us.